It's Coalfield and Company. It's Friday, Friday. Gotta get down on Friday. Everybody's looking for a word to the weekend. Friday, Friday. Gotta get down on Friday. Everybody's looking forward to the weekend. Party and party and party and party and party. Yeah, all right, here we go. Friday, Friday, Friday. Coalfield and Company. Ari is here steering the ship. We're in the Finley Toyota Studios. Caleb Herring is alongside for the next three hours, the former UNLV quarterback. What's up, buddy? What's up, man? How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, loving what's going on right now in the world of sports. A lot going on around Las Vegas. Last night was a big night with the NBA draft and a hometown hero. Went in the first round. We got a good hour number one as we'll have UNLV wide receiver coach, Dell Alexander, in. So that's coming up in about 40 minutes. So what's been going on with you? Well, today I, you know, in the news of sports, my son just got his purple belt, so I'm excited about that. Like, uh, that's what's been going on with me, full dad <laughs> mode in the summertime. I've been going to Taekwondo training camps and just enjoying really? life right now. So it's, it's awesome right now. That's, were that's you, what's going on with me. I'm sorry. Were you a martial arts guy when you were a kid? I was not. So yeah. I'm in a, it's like uncharted waters for me right now. I'm just trying to be supportive dad, like trying to learn and play along. But, you know, the competitive side of me is like, hey, you break that board. You know, yeah. like, what's going on? Hey, break it. What, what's going on? But, you know, it, it's fun. It's fun and exciting to watch your kids get excited about sports. And I, Taekwondo is a new sport for me, so I'm enjoying it. Yeah, it was for about two weeks. And then, uh, like many things in my life, I grow tired of them. I'm like, Dad, not fast enough, which oh, is crazy. I did karate, and I was just like, yeah, not that interesting. I'll tell you this. You have the calves for it. Yes, thanks, man. I always appreciate the, the compliment on the cast. I could, probably, I could probably take good kicks. I don't know if I'm athletic enough to deliver good kicks. But, uh, yeah, later on we're going to talk about amateurs. Uh, maybe we should get your son involved in this uh, as he can battle the winner. Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk, uh, two at least 40-somethings, if not yeah. is Musk like 60. Um, they've challenged each other. We're going to bring in a fight expert in the 5 o'clock hour to break that fight down. And Dana White sounds like he's interested in promoting it, which is – Pretty crazy from uh, some of the words he used to speak in the past about circus acts in the cage or in the ring. He was very anti that, but uh, this one might be piquing his interest. So, we had the NBA draft last night. How much did you watch? You're a big NBA guy. I did not watch it. I tracked it. I wanted to see number one, obviously, which was just a foregone conclusion on who was going to go number one. It's just a, a formality at that point with Wimby. Of course, um, Scoot. Big name, big time. Seeing the two of them go at it in Las Vegas uh, a while back was awesome. So making sure that those two kind of got a draft spot. But after that, I just pretty much watched the update. It's kind of strange to me of the major sports that the NBA only has two rounds. Um, So, you know, how long the NFL draft goes on is a three-day event. The NBA is kind of quick, succinct, get to the point. We kind of knew what was going to happen. This draft seemed to be very predictable compared to previous drafts. Not a lot of surprises, not a lot of movement, not a lot of trades. So kind of cut and dry with this year. Yeah, we were talking about it at the end of the show yesterday because we played like the first six picks on the air, and then the second 20 minutes, or I'm sorry, the last 20 minutes of the show, I was like, eh, I don't think we need to go to the podium. I'm not sure that most of the people listening right now know who any of these guys are. The draft has changed into something closer to the baseball draft where the prospects, we used to draft 21, 22, and 23-year-olds, and most teams are more interested in 18- and 19-year-olds, prospects, um, I think we're eventually going to the European basketball model or the uh, Euro kind of worldwide soccer model where if you're a great athlete, you might be, you might be recruited by a, either a minor league 
outfit or uh, an arm of a major league outfit and you might be making some money and moving towards a professional career while you're being educated. Right. Kind of like this overtime elite in Atlanta and sort of IMG because IMG's got a postgrad that we're going to move more towards that because the NBA teams I mean I was getting a little harsh yesterday but when you think about it sometimes what good does it do a kid to go play college basketball? Now they can make money now with NIL. But I'm sure the NBA coaches and you have these, you know, these organizations that have literally 40 people in the front office, maybe not 40, 30 people in the front office and on the bench. You have all these experts to teach basketball. Right. And you're leaving it in the hands of possibly a jabroni on the college level because there are a lot of old school coaches who are right. just screamers and yellers and they want to they want to fit a player into what they need and you don't blame them. They want to win. But does that get them NBA ready? Why not have them with the experts from the time they're like 15 or 16? And this is like where the NBA is now is sort of the the crossroads between, okay, we didn't want them coming straight out of high school. Uh, that was kind of nixed. We wanted college to still have his thing. Yeah. The NCAA was important. So, yeah, we'll make them do a year. Yep. Now it's like that really doesn't work because the year in college, is it really worth it? I mean, you look at Zion Williamson, you look at other guys that are one and done. Does it really matter? Is it really that big of an input? And then are you developing players? Like the, what's happening in Europe, and you look at the draft, I didn't count, but there's a lot of European or foreign-born players that got drafted in those two rounds. So there's something over there that's working. You look at how Luka Doncic hit the ground running in the NBA, immediately, like yep. took over. He's a star, like ready-made for a team to draft. Professionally ready at 18 or 19. Absolutely. NBA that, professionally ready. And the NBA and the American, I guess, pipeline for sports, for basketball in particular, has to get on board with that system. It's a structure that's working in these European countries, and we should – get some of our American talent in there. Now, some of them, like you said, there's some some groups that are trying to work towards that. Um, not officially, I guess you could say, but the professional versus college ranks where you go from high school and you go start playing professional, maybe even start earlier than after high school. That's kind of what the Europeans are doing. You got yep. guys that are 14, 15 years old playing professionally, and there's a lot of development there. Then on top of that, like you said, the NBA has to take some accountability. Like, yeah, guys aren't going to be immediately ready, and that's kind of my worry with Wimby. Maybe we'll talk about it later. Maybe he's not immediately ready to play at the highest level in the NBA, but you've got these guys on your staff. You're paying them to do something. They should be accountable for producing and making these guys reach their potential once they get to the NBA. Like, draft them, yeah, but it's not over once you draft them. They're not the finished product year one as a rookie. Somebody of those 40 guys on the staff has to develop the talent into what you want them to be five, six years down the road. Caleb Herring's with us. On this Friday, it's Cofield and Company, Finley Toyota Studios. Ari's here as well. So last night was such a good night for so many of the kids and their families. I mean, this is life-changing money. Can really you know cover up any uh, issues you've had in the past, poverty being one of them. Right. Right? At least buy you out of that for a little while. It's great. I mean, it's, an, it's the ultimate achievement. When you play whatever sport, you would love to go professional. And if you're a young basketball player, your goal is to make it to the NBA or at least get a check from the NBA at some point. It was really cool locally. Julian Strother's a really good story. He's a guy who was a star high school basketball player here. He could have gone anywhere in the country. He chose a unique place, you know, one of the uh, giants out there in terms of resources. Gonzaga. He lands at Gonzaga. They have a lot of high-level winning. He had another year left. He decides to come out. I see him mocked all day. Check that. The last couple of weeks are, you know, uh, on mock drafts, like, eh, not really a first-round pick. Right. Got to get picked 35th, you know, whatever, 45th. And it's not the worst thing ever. It means you have a short-term, con- shorter-term contract. And, you know, if you're awesome, you uh, you could probably make a, you know, a lot of money with that 
second contract, right? Chris Wood's a good example. Chris Wood was not drafted. He's made a lot of money in mm-hmm. second and third, and this might be his fourth contract coming up, and he's only like 27 years old. So that is a path to go, but there's also a commitment an organization makes when they make you a first-round pick, and boy, that was cool last night. So Julian Strother gets selected. He lands with the Nuggets, which I was thinking Pacers, okay, a lot of playing time. Nuggets, talk about being mentored, and the Nuggets already showed, and some of the big boy teams have shown that, hey, when we've got this really good, experienced team, we don't have money for the eighth-year guy. Right. But we got money for first- and second-year guys, and Christian Brown from Kansas played a lot. He earned it. And the Nuggets before the draft made moves that signaled, hey, we're going in this thing by getting a pick in the first round to get someone who can help us now. Right. I think they've also shown, Denver has, shown the ability to be patient with developing a player. And I think about Michael Porter Jr. Like, he was expected to be, I think, like you talk about a high draft pick. He fell off a little bit because of injuries coming out Mm -hmm. of high school, or or out of college, rather. But they were patient with him. Uh, completely worked with him through his struggles in early stages of his of his career, and now he's a contributing member of a championship team. Same thing goes with uh, with Murray. Injuries kind of derailed him for the last two years. They were patient as a franchise, developing him, getting understanding their core nucleus of what they wanted to be. If they're drafting you this high, uh, they think something of you. They think highly of you that you can be a contributing member to their championship program. Now. It's up to you to seize on the moment, but talk about having big moments like game winning three in front of your your hometown people uh, in Vegas. That was awesome moment Ridiculous. for him, right in his Ridiculous. career. Like you couldn't there. have drawn it up any better than I that. was there courtside. I mean, right, that's, storybook that's a dream scenario. Right. So then, and then now you're drafted to the NBA, like higher than people maybe anticipated to a team that's fresh off a championship and by all the indications looking to repeat and at least be a contender in the West, like. Prime situation to make a career for yourself. It, it's a good spot for him. Last night, the Strothers had a uh, draft party. They were at Red Rock. Willie Ramirez, a family friend, was over there and had a chance just minutes after. Julian found out he was a first-round pick. Uh, Willie talked to Strother just a couple seconds after the selection. And we are joined by the man of the hour live here at his draft party, ESPN Las Vegas. We appreciate you, Julian Strother, taking 29th Denver Nuggets via the Indiana Pacers. Your immediate thoughts as you heard your name being called. Uh, I mean, it's everything I ever dreamed of, you know, hearing Adam Silver call my name. Uh, I mean, you visualize that, you know, in your head all the time. You have dreams about it, but it's nothing like the real thing, man. I mean, this, this is everything. This has been a long week for you. It's been a long process. What were the hours like leading up to it? You had your team with you in the back room. Just you're getting phone calls after phone call. What, what, what's the process and the mindset you're going through? Uh, I mean, I got the, I got the right group of people around me, you know, uh, my, my group, my circle. I knew we was handling business, you know, I was handling business on the court and they was handling business elsewhere. Um, you know, so it was, it was a lot of trust in that and everything worked out. At the end of the day, everything worked out and I'm just super blessed and thankful. You have a room full of, a suite full of family and friends, but the, for the, to the two words that we've heard throughout your career, high school and college, has been know she's smiling down upon you and I know she's been on your mind throughout this week and throughout this process Uh, absolutely um everything I do is for her so you know I promised her one thing and and that was that I was gonna I was gonna make the NBA and I was gonna you know uh accomplish my dreams and I I got to fill on that promise so uh, that that's number one for sure Julian Strother, there's not anything more that we can say, anything more you can say. You are one of Las Vegas' hometown heroes. We appreciate you granting ESPN Las Vegas one of the first interviews as an NBA player. Julian Strother, Liberty graduate, Gonzaga grad, uh, product. Thank you. Thank you. 
I appreciate everything. There he is, Julian Strother with Willie. We'll have interviews that Willie grabbed with Lee Strother, his father, and also a fellow Gonzaga alum who's in the NBA. That's coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. So more on the Strothers and big day, big night for the Strothers. So the biggest night is for Wemby. Wembyama goes number one. We all knew he's going number one. The money in front of him is going to be incredible in terms of the endorsements. I don't know if you saw the movie Air, but uh, yeah. or, or um, the uh, Lakers HBO documentary where they featured Magic, you know, deciding on Converse and other companies, and then Nike came in and tried to. So think about how big that was for those guys. What a big decision it was for those guys. And now the money's even bigger. Uh, Adam Hill was on yesterday, and he said some have said that for the franchise that gets Wemby, the pick is worth $500 million. Wow. That's the kind of impact it could have on the franchise if he is what he is supposed to be. So what what is he going to be? What do you think? I think he is going to be special. There's no doubt he is a physically – He's a specimen, right? Just physically, seven five with the ability to handle. Like, I, it's you. You can't really dream of something like that, I guess, or picture something like that in an athlete. I guess the closest thing to it uh, would have probably been Kevin Durant or Kristaps Porzingis, like back in the day I, when he was considered a unicorn. Um, and that, I guess, would be the the comparison as far as the skill set you're going to get. Uh, the draw, I guess, the it's different because the internet has has made him a sensation before he's even taken, you know, a tip off in the NBA. So, like you said, the dollar amount that the franchise is going to get, even if he scratches the surface of his potential, is going to be crazy, right? I think the the problem for him is, and it's clear to me watching him, there's a strength element that he's going to have to develop, and I. I the skill set is great, but every player with a great skill set still had to develop the strength. And I, Curry is one of those examples where he, he's obviously a smaller guy, slight of built, but he had to bulk up and get stronger in order to to last and sustain himself for an 82 game season. That's that's there's no doubt about it. Um, you look at guys like Chad Holmgren, who same kind of build, it's seven foot seven foot plus, but very frail, very thin. He's gonna have to bulk up a little bit. So I'm not sure that the immediate hype is going to be uh, uh, met. Right, and that that may be a problem for some people, but with an understanding that we do this all the time to to prospect, we put a lot on their shoulders. Uh, he's got the world on his shoulders right now. The last guy I can think of that had it this bad coming out of high school or college or wherever they're coming from was LeBron James, and he had an immense amount of pressure. Now LeBron lived up to it, and in some eyes exceeded the hype. He's been arguably the greatest basketball player of all time after being hyped up as the greatest basketball player of all time. Can Wimby follow that up? Can he do it? We'll see. Right now, I don't think he's going to live up to it immediately. Keep it locked right here. Cofield and Company will return in minutes on ESPN Las Vegas. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio on ESPN Las Vegas. Cofield and company rolling on. Caleb Herring is here as the company. So, a lot to get into with the UNLV community in the offseason. We're going to talk to Dale Alexander, the wide receivers coach for the football program, in about uh, 20 minutes or so. I don't know how much you've been following what's been going on with the Mountain West and San Diego State. Good old San Diego State. The marquee programs, the marquee school of the league, as the (laughs) San Diego Union Tribune wrote earlier in the week, well, 
They decided to send a letter because they've got a June 30th deadline. If they want to go to the Pac-12, which they're not in the Pac-12, but they've got a June 30th deadline. If they want to go to the Pac-12 next season, they've got to give word, official word, to the conference. And then they'll owe $17 million. If they can't do that by the deadline of June 30th, which is, what are we talking about, nine days now, eight days? Uh, Then, if they want the quick turnaround, they'll have to pay $34 million. That's a lot of money for a state institution. Oh, yeah. Lots of money. It's a lot of money, and it's it's kind of a – I mean, it's a cluster, in my opinion. Like, the way this whole exit is processing out is, like, San Diego State's like, hey, we're leaving. And the conference is like, okay, we're not making any exceptions for you. And they're like, well, we didn't really mean that we're leaving. It's not an official statement. We're just kind of saying we're intending to. I think it was posturing. Like, I feel like they were hoping to get swept up by the Pac-12. There's a a gaping hole in the marketing industry, especially when you're talking about TV coverage. In, this, in Southern California now with UCLA and USC bailing going Big Ten. So you would think that the Pac-12 would be trying to get all over that and, and make sure that they have it covered with San Diego being the, you know, the, the toehold in Southern California, I guess, is what it's been referred to. Um, but it looked like San Diego State was trying to make it known, hey, we're ready to leave. We're, we're looking to be taken away from the Mountain West, uh, making it known publicly to everybody. Um, and I think the Mountain West kind of called them on it, like, okay, well, better hurry up about it because if not, you're going to owe us $34 million and we're not making exceptions for you. Like, can you leave or not? Yeah. So, And that's where they are right hey, now. Hey, we it's need an of, extension. Yeah. Nope. No. No, no extension. Wow. Well, you're leaving? You want us to do you a favor and take less money? There's, that there's, hurts the conference? Makes no sense. You're, you're leaving you're, hurts the conference. Right. You're, you're taking away. like, And as much as they've been a consistent program, there's no arguing that on, on both of the major sports, two of the major sports here with football and basketball, they just made a trip to the Final Four, to the finals with the men's basketball. Although I'll say this, not to dig at San Diego State because it was good for the conference that they made it to the finals, but it was the lowest rated men's basketball finals on record hmm. uh they're not a major draw maybe not as big as they think they are as far as being a toehold on southern california's media market i don't know that everybody's going to be chiming in especially just to see san diego state because they have pac-12 on attached to them instead of the mountain west not saying that it's a bad thing that san diego state's not a good a good program but i think this is kind of evidence slow your roll here a little bit Maybe bow out a little bit more respectfully. But now the cat's out of the bag. And the conference is like, hey, let's play ball then. They already did it. Bernie Wilson, who is an AP writer, been covering San Diego and that scene in San Diego State for upwards of 30 years, was on Cofield and Company in the middle of the week, and he said, yeah, they've misplayed this whole thing. Maybe the administration got a little cocky and thought, hey, we're San Diego State. You know, the Pac-12 wants us. You know, we're going to drop a bomb on the Mountain West, and here we are. I have heard, one of the reasons I know they're very arrogant up there is I once heard someone describe San Diego State as the big San Diego State machine. And it's like, okay. <laughs> you know, uh, Sorry, I couldn't I couldn't help but laughing. The San Diego State <laughs> machine. They do a good job. They're, they're a great basketball program. Football is more than solid. Um, are they a candidate? Would they be a good choice for the Pac-12? Sure. Could the Pac-12 go in several other directions and, you know, miss out on San Diego State? I think they'd be fine. Here's the bigger question. Now San Diego State is in this position where they basically just have to leave and (laughs) roll the dice because they're going to have to do it before next week. Or maybe they're going to go to court over the $34 million. But now they're in a place where, hey, let's just leave. It's $17 million. We'll get another year in the Mountain West. And then hopefully someone invites us. For 24-25, and now they have no leverage with the Big 12 or the Pac-12. And here's the other thing. Will there be a Pac-12? This morning, 
on the press box. Mark Ziegler, who writes for the San Diego Union-Tribune, is familiar with San Diego State, also went to Stanford, talked about what's going to happen next, and a lot of the talk here is about what is the Pac-12 long-range. Doomsday scenario is this. They leave on June 30th, hoping they get a invite sometime later in the summer, not wanting to pay the $34 million. The TV deal comes back for the Pac-12, and it's no good. Colorado and Arizona immediately go, thanks very much, we're going to the Big 12. And the Big 12 goes, all right, we can take two more teams. And then Arizona and Arizona State and Utah, let's say, jump. And then Oregon and Washington goes, well, we don't want to be with these leftovers. And they just go to the Big Ten's doorstep and said, we'll come for a quarter share. We'll come for a third share, whatever it is. And now you're left with, you know, maybe Stanford goes independent. And now you're left with Cal, Oregon State, and Washington State. And now San Diego State is screwed. And now they're all begging back into the Mountain West. But I don't think that's going to come to that. Maybe Colorado leaves. Maybe even Arizona leaves. But I, I think maybe only one of them leaves. And, and San Diego State just slots in there for the next five years. But after those five years, I think the whole thing blows up. How about that? So they could leave for the Pac-12 and then it's goners five years from now. So what was the freaking point? I guess cash in. And then after that, hopefully you're in the wave right. of Pac-12 schools that get scooped up by someone, or you could be in that group that Ziegler mentioned, which could be bigger than just Cal and Oregon State and Washington State, and you may have to be crawling back to whatever the Mountain West is going to be six or seven years from now. That would be awesome. Yes. Like, that scenario playing out would probably be my my dream scenario. It, looking at the Pac-12, I, I do see kind of a doomsday scenario. Once UCLA and USC bounce, it was like, okay, it's just a matter of time. I'm surprised that Oregon's – kind of been as quiet as they have been as far as jumping ship well, they, they have the that one's ability to it's really interesting like to me like how like that team of, of the success they've had in recent years how dominant they've been consistently top 10 especially in football uh, a relevant brand i'm surprised that that hasn't been a domino that's fallen for the pac-12 you now, can let me break in one second you can hear that entire ziggler interview on lvsportsnetwork.com on the press box on their podcast i'll mention to further the conversation that Ziegler threw in Oregon being in a position once Klyavkov, the commissioner, comes back and the deal isn't good enough and then the conference starts splintering, right? You have the four corners or just Arizona State and uh, Utah Mm -hmm. going over to the Big 12. His suggestion was that Oregon at that point would just do anything to be in the Big 10. Right. And Oregon and Washington would take quarter shares in the Big 10 and then Phil Knight would just have to make up the difference. So you'd be right. talking about, hey, the Pac-12 is breaking up. Oregon looks and they're like, you know, we'll just go to the Pac-12 and eventually we'll get a full share, maybe three, four, five years from now, and we'll just make up the money. But if every school in the Big Ten is getting $85 million, we'll take 21 to start. How sad is that? That's And that's just, like, sad for the state of the Pac-12. Like, it's that bad at that point where we're just taking the snickle fritz just to get out of here. The just snickle to, fritz! Just, just to not go down with the ship here. Yep. Like, And that's that's unfortunately where Oregon finds himself because they're one of the last major names standing in the Pac-12. And if it comes to that, that that's what would happen. But back to San Diego State, that would be a disaster for them. Not only have they, to this point, played the exit from the Mountain West terribly, um, but then if the, if the Pac-12 doesn't even pan out, now you've burned all your bridges essentially with the Mountain West. And you think the Mountain West is going to be lenient with your with your uh, begging to return if it comes to that? I, I highly doubt it. I highly doubt it. So Crazy you might times. find yourself being you know the, the sort of ugly stepchild scenario if you're San Diego State just on the outside looking in begging for somebody to accept you again as, as that San Diego machine 
uh, slows to a halt, I guess. But tick, we'll see. Tick, 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 tick. It's next Friday. It's next Friday is June 30th. Giveaway time, 364-1100, 364-1100. or 7, four, uh, four pack of tickets to the NBA Summer League. It's on the ground here July 7th to the 17th at the Thomas & Mack. You can grab your tickets if you don't win Ari's at UNLVtickets.com. But a four-pack NBA Summer League going out right now. Call or 7364-1100. Miss any of the show? We've got you covered. Head to LVSportsNetwork.com and go to podcasts to listen to all of your favorite LV Sports Network shows anytime from any place. The Houston Astros are in L.A. to play the Dodgers. Catch all the action on the Diamond Sunday starting at 3 on ESPN Las Vegas. You're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. So we have UNLV football talk coming up with uh, Dell Alexander, who is actually returning to UNLV after a lengthy career coaching around the country, most recently Notre Dame. It's Cofield, it's Caleb Herring. Former UNLV quarterback has his uh, Rebs hat on. We allowed to wear those anymore? Ooh, I'm taking a chance. Okay, I like it. I, it I, works. I love those hats too. But they're breathable uh, for the summertime. But they are, I guess, now considered a blast from the past. Are they? I don't know. I wonder about that one because we'll uh, I don't. I think some people are uncomfortable with me saying uh, about two months ago that um, much of Marcus Arroyo's work will be pushed away we'll say well we're going to distance ourselves yeah. from we both like marcus we've talked about yeah. this a lot we got along well with him he treated us really well the marcus or radio show i thought was a lot of fun we got a lot out of him oh yeah he came up with this rebs hat um but you know each new coach kind of has their own stamp on things and even with merchandising so you might want to light that on fire yeah, don't wear that yeah. don't oh, wear that on a plane maybe i should turn it back <laughs> definitely not on a plane no oh, it's my good God. I'll get kicked out at ten thousand feet. They'll wait good. like to announce it. Yeah. By uh, the way, someone who was it? Uh, someone made a smart remark to me about wearing uh, just uh, Rutgers stuff. Why? I'm like, really? Like, what? what do I, I got to wear UNLV stuff Come when on. I travel with the team? That's silly. Give me I, a break. Rutgers and UNLV have no ties outside of Steve Cofield. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, yeah, that's, that's the only that's, connection I can see with UNLV and Rutgers. Uh, believe me, I wanted to. No, uh, I'm done. I wanted to buzz Kevin Kruger for uh, recruits because uh, people are buying basketball players off the Rutgers roster, and there's a guy available <laughs> right now. I'm like, go get him, backup point guard. <laughs> he you got him. Need him, six six year player. Go get him. I mean, if you know, my school's going to lose him, I may as well get to cover him here. And exactly. Help, help him win. Right? That'll be fun. Bring right? some you, bring some joy my way. Yeah, that that'll be exciting for you. I I I for one am tired of seeing you in misery when you watch Rutgers. And and see the updates during the football season. Uh, yeah. The amount well, of times that Rutgers was like, ah. Football's was, bad. Football's bad. <laughs> yeah. uh, basketball was disappointing because they were like the uh, 69th or 70th team for the NCAA tournament. So uh, one of the, I think one of the best troll accounts, it's really creative. I have no idea who's behind it. Um, <laughs> and I retweeted every once in a while. Uh, I'm probably the, well, whatever. I retweeted every once in a while. Uh, big game boomer. Right. And whoever does it, does like a top 50 list and lots of things. And it could be like, Best restaurants in D1 cities for football to, you know, best coaches. He does a lot of best coaches. Right. And he actually had Michael Scherer, the D.C. and linebacker coach for the Rebels, as a number five linebacker coach in the country. I don't take that site too seriously because a lot of it is trolling. Right. But I will tell you, whoever does it has a ton of respect for both Brennan Marion, the O.C., Mm -hmm. who's – he's 30. I'm trying to get the ages right. And – Cher is 29. Right. So they're two of the youngest coordinators, and he has them as a top five guy at linebacker. And to me, it's like whether or not it's trolling or not, it's at 84,000 subscribers to the to the page on Twitter, the big game 
Uh, it's up to eighty five thousand. I think it's up to eighty five thousand. Ah! It's 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 it's. Why did I think so, of this idea? Yeah, it's it's a popular uh, spot. And I could have been so, big game boomer. I mean, just you know, his name has been mentioned has whether as a coach or with other things on this li- on these top fifty lists by big Damn game boomers several different times. I think no publicity is bad publicity at this point, especially yeah. with you UNLV and you're trying to make a, an imprint with your recruiting and stuff like that. Twitter is kind of an engine to do that. Uh, I'll take UNLV's name being mentioned out there, but I will say this. We joked about it. I, I wouldn't even say joked. I said we, we, mentioned, we mentioned it when the staff kind of filled out. Um, even when Coach Odom uh, came in initially as a former linebacker himself, former linebacker coach and things like that, um, with the three, uh, the three three five kind of defense coming in as a scheme, linebacker emphasis in that scheme. Um, then bringing Coach Shear as a former player of his who played linebacker, um, it was a standout for him as a linebacker. Now he's the defensive coordinator. We kind of made mention that, hey, it's now a linebacker university. And that's kind of one of those things that with the success of guys like Austin Ajike in the past and um, the way he you know, developed that UNLV as a linebacker, we've looked at it. Hey, UNLV has the potential to develop linebackers here at a higher clip than a normal university with such an emphasis on that position on the coaching staff, right? So it kind of is leaning in that way. Again, this could be a troll account, but – I'll take the pub. Some pub, right? Some pub. Uh, Steve was our winner of our NBA Summer League tickets. Let's give away another four-pack right now, 364-1100. It's for the ninth, day three. Could be a Wemby day. Could be a Victor Wemanyama day. Uh, these are going to be great tickets. The event goes on July 7th to the 17th at the Thomas & Mac. You can grab them at unlvtickets.com. Day three, four-pack for the NBA Summer League. Caller 7, 364-1100. Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve Cofield and at Ari Produces. Or tweet the show at Cofield and Co. or at ESPN Las Vegas. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, it's about that time. You know, Kayla and I were just talking about the podcast we do, which has been on hiatus. And I was kind of timing it out. I'm like, we need to start doing positional previews. But honestly, there's been so much turnover on the team. I got to talk to all the coaches first before we become experts on the uh, changes. And the wide receiver room is one that changed up a lot. And obviously, we got a, a new coaching staff here in town for UNLV. Dale Alexander is a familiar face. He's back. He's running that wide receiver room. He's got a lot of new faces to talk about. He's up with Steve Cofield and Caleb Herring. Caleb, of course, former Rebel quarterback. How are you, sir? Doing great. How are you? We're good, man. We're fired up. We're fired up. You guys are like, what, 71 days away from the uh, opener, right? Uh, that was the word this morning <laughs> in our team meeting, yes. Oh, all right. 71 days away. Summertime, obviously, uh, people would think of it as a dead time, but we know we know the truth. You, you've probably been on the recruiting trail. You know, there's a summer camp in June. How are things going as far as the summer preparation goes with you as a coach? Um, well, it, it's going great. You know, twice a week we're on the field with the guys doing what we can. Um, coaching, teaching more than you were able to do in the past. Um, so it's, it's really good getting these guys ready to go uh, and using the new rules to the maximum. You talked about the new rules because that's, that's new to me. Like when I was playing, it was no coaches essentially for most of the summer. Um, and it was a lot of player-led, organized kind of group activities that went on. Is there is there an element of that that's still around where the players are kind of taking the initiative, getting to know each other, getting familiar with the playbook on their own time? Yes, yes, there's, there's still a large part of that, but you know how coaches are. We find a way to, to get ourselves involved, and, and the rules allow us to, to, within a certain amount of hours and time, to go outfield, outside now with the ball, 
I could throw routes. We could have the quarterbacks and the receivers together um, a couple of days a week. Um, but when they interact, when the offense is going against the defense, the coaches are not allowed to be on the field. So we get some training in. We call it skills and drills for probably 15 or 20 minutes. And then the player part of it that you're used to takes over and they do one-on-one, seven-on-seven in team, and then it's over. See, that, that is a big change. I would have had a welcome uh, change to that. You talk about big changes. There was 30 new recruits introduced uh, for as far as housing and moving into the program uh, over this summer. What's it been like acclimating those new guys to the guys that you already got introduced to in the spring? Man, it, it's been great. You know, I, uh, the, a couple of places in town that have taken care of the guys, they've done a great job. Uh, Mark, our director of operations, he's done a great job building those relationships for you know, that 30 guys, it's, it's tough finding 30 beds, you know. Um, but <laughs> we were able to do that. The guys are in, they're comfortable. Um, and, you know, if they, if they get a good night's sleep, they can wake up in the morning and put in a good day's work. So some guys in that receiver room that Rebel fans are familiar with, last year Ricky White had one of the big plays, UNLV football, put it out on social media, a 72-yard touchdown pass. So familiar with him, Jacob De Jesus got introduced during the spring game, called his name quite a bit out of that receiver room, what are some of the things we can expect from this new group coming in in the fall? I, I, people are anxious to see what the Rebels are going to do, especially the receiver room. We call it flight crew back when I was playing. Always bringing the excitement. What can the fans expect come the fall from the receiver group? Well, there's a, there's an element of speed in the receiver room, and, and, and fans can be excited about that. That is a real thing. We've got guys that can run. Um, you know, they can go from A to B in a hurry. They can take the ball to the end zone, and that's our goal. Coach Marion's uh, really focused on big plays. You know, he's focused on being physical. Um, and so we're going to be able to do both. Uh, and that's just where it starts. You know, if I were to give you a little insight, um, you're going to see some fast guys impact the game. No doubt. Del Alexander's here with us, a UNLV wide receiver coach. And as Caleb mentioned, Jacob DeJesus was targeted, it felt like, 25 times and had double-digit catches. And, man, he's fast. Um, I always think it's interesting, and Caleb and I have talked about this, you know, the fact that he played the game and went through a – coaching change, you know, what's it like for guys like Ricky White and Zyle Griffin and Seneca McKee who, you know, you make your way with a wide receiver coach and all of a sudden new head coach, new wide receiver coach. What's it been like for them in terms of, you know, them trusting you and you trusting them? Right. Well, first, since I'm giving out compliments today, I want to compliment them on that transition. You know, those guys are eager to learn. Those guys are eyes wide open type players. And, you know, they're trying to soak up everything that I'm offering in terms of teaching. Um, they've done a great job with that. And I think it's just a matter of getting better and sharpening that blade every single day. You know, I've seen some changes in them, but they've already, you know, shown that they can play the game. It's just adjusting to our coaching style and being able to take that next step that all players want to take when they get to the new season. So you got to tell us, how does – recruiting work when you say you know you're looking at like seven wide receivers out and then we're looking to bring seven or eight in what's the process of you the guy who's going to work with them the OC the head coach and what I mean is just locating guys and then doing research on them because you have pulled players from every possible location and background <laughs> it's crazy right no let's just say it's easy right Piece the case <laughs> no problem <laughs> um you know, you know, you're just searching. It's, it really starts with the leads, you know, the leads and the relationships. 
Um, that's how you can get guys from all over the place because, you know, I know I've been a lot of places, Coach Marion, Coach Odom. We've all been a lot of places. And the toughest part is everybody has a wide receiver. You know, you guys probably know good wide receivers we should recruit. You know, so <laughs> we have to sort through that and we have to figure out the dynamic of our team, what we need, and the mindset of the young man. Um, we also have to get those guys to want to come to UNLV and, and love being here. Um, and so just through conversations, like you say, and, and building that relationship and understanding, you know, what the kids are about, uh, it, it's not easy. It just takes time, and, and we didn't have a lot of time, but we think we got the right guys. How much have you had a chance, if at all, to see up close some of the guys who are in from D1 schools uh, in terms of transfers and uh, Rogers from Arkansas and Gavin Thompson from Pittsburgh and just saw Jacinto, I think that's how you say his name, from New Mexico State, Missouri. Like, do you, do you know a whole lot about them? Have you seen them up close yet? Uh, yeah, we were in a meeting today, and I saw each of those guys catch a pass or multiple passes today, <laughs> you know, thanks to the new rule. You know, um, you, you get that opportunity to see those guys up close and personal. You get that opportunity before you go to camp to say, I know exactly what this guy needs. And over the next four weeks, because we have another four to five weeks remaining before camp, we can work on those little things every day. And so when we get to camp, you know, we don't have to learn each other. You know, I don't have to figure out, you know, in the first week what their weaknesses are. We would have, we would have gone through that already during this process. The opener, September 2nd, Bryant. You can get your tickets now for the game over at the Al at UNLVTickets.com. We're talking football with the wide receivers coach, Dale Alexander, at UNLV. I'm going to ask both of you guys this one because I want the coach and the quarterback perspective. First, coach, all right, what's the learning curve for the freshmen who are in? And I, I, don't, I can't even really give you all the names because I know some guys are listed as athletes. I don't know where they're slated yet, but what's the, right. uh, that process? And then when Caleb uh, is up, I want – the quarterback perspective on throwing to guys like that and learning them and what, what a quarterback thinks. But first, you go, Coach. Okay, well, guys, you know, start, you know, at different places because of the programs that they've been in. You know, I know for a fact, without saying names, that I have two guys that are, you know, really locked into what we're doing and the learning curve has been really, really fast for them. I have other guys, you know, that it may be, it's not as fast. You know, the transition is not as quick. It doesn't mean that's a great point in a place that we're in right now. It doesn't mean that they don't have a chance. This is just June, you know. Where they're going to finish working in July and know our playbook. It's just that some guys can play a little bit freer now in, in June, and the other guys may be able to play a little freer in, um, in August when we start. But when we get to August, the goal is for all of those freshmen to play fast and play free because they know exactly what to do. And I, I think from the quarterback perspective, I, first of all, for me, the learning curve is steep. You, the, the language you have to speak is for every position, right? It's, it's, not as, yeah. it's not as focused as it is for maybe any of the other position groups. But for me, being an established quarterback, bringing in a younger freshman wide receiver group, the most important thing that I could do was establish a standard. And by that I meant it wasn't about catering to what they were used to or maybe the mistakes that they made that were maybe in the language or how they ran a curl route in high school, what they knew uh, the timing was uh, of their routes. 
you had to establish, hey, this is where I'm throwing it. This is where our offense dictates we're throwing the ball. You got to come get up to speed with that. I was supposed to do that during the summer. Again, different now with the coaches being able to be out there and kind of work on those fine-tuned things. But it was important for me during that time, during the summer months, to make sure I was upholding the standard for the team so that come fall, coaches didn't have to fix mistakes that we had been practicing or bad habits we had been cementing with the younger guys. Where a guy's running a four-step slant, let's say, and our playbook says it's supposed to be three, and now during fall camp he's not able to perform at his best because he's been working on it wrong all, sum- all summer under my watch. So it, it was kind of a double task as a quarterback. I had to learn. I had to be the first one to know everything, hmm. and then I had to be able to establish a standard for the coaches so that come fall camp we can hit the ground running uh, and, and not lose as much time on those, those smaller details that coaches mentioned earlier. Coach, does that Man, sound – uh, Wait, wait real quick, yep. real quick. Yeah, yeah. Somebody ought to call. I don't know if it's Amazon or Google. Did you hear that leadership talk right there? <laughs> I know, I know. Well, man, you know what I mean? God, I get over here. I know. I know. Well, I was going to ask you, you know, Doug Brumfield has really matured the last year and a half. Does that sound kind of in tune with what Doug's got to do and, and has probably done a little bit already? I think I think that Doug does have the leadership ability. I think that the, the part that's hidden in there is the learning at first as the quarterback. So I think the first phase is what Doug had to do in the spring, learning and adapting to the new coaches and the new system. And so now that it's summer, we're still around. Starting next week, we'll be around less. And that's where Doug is able to take over where the coaches aren't able. All right, so Georgia Tech, Notre Dame, Arizona State, we can read through your your you know your entire resume. And, you know, UNLV back at the beginning of the century, so we didn't get a chance to ask you, why come back? Um, man, I've got my son here. He's a freshman, or he's, he just finished his freshman year. When I was at Georgia Tech, he chose to come to UNLV. My oldest son is a graduate. I get to do football and hang out with my son. Um, I, get a, I get to come back as a better coach than I was when this was my first job. So I, I owe UNLV a little bit. You know what I mean? I was, oh, okay. you know, young and not too wise, but I knew everything. And so, <laughs> you know, I came back to, 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 to make it right. Very cool. Well, Coach, we appreciate a couple minutes. We'll, uh, we'll see you out at camp when that starts up. And have a good weekend and keep at it. A lot of work to do here in the next uh, eight, nine weeks with a lot of new guys. And uh, Michigan in week two. Exciting. Yes, Brian in week one. You got to go to one before you get to two. But point. thank you guys for having me. It's been great. You got it. Dell Alexander, back here at UNLV, was here in the early 2000s, and he has quite the background. And you could tell they came in. When we watched that team last year, they had some good wide receiver talent. Um, you know, Kyle Williams left, so that was a blow. They looked at the guys in the spring, and they – they cleared out the room, or the guys decided to clear out, and they have brought in players from every. I mean, D1 transfers. I didn't even get to a JUCO. I can't wait to see uh, the story of uh, Timothy Connerly, who is apparently just a freaking burner. Yep. Now, can he play wide receiver? Does he have the hands? We don't know. Uh, you have a lot of veterans back. You got freshmen in there. I assume some of the freshmen are going to play. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't give the names. But, uh, yeah, for you guys, the quarterbacks, man, with freshmen, I mean, I listen, I'm a lunatic with radio. Like, I have a certain way I want the show done, and right. there's a trust level. I can't imagine with all that's at stake when you play quarterback, having a break in freshman receivers. And that was that was honestly uh, not just freshmen, just new receivers. You talk about the amount of transfers here, um, but 
new receivers too. Like it was like, hey, there's a way we do things. There's a language we speak. When I want to communicate with you, when I'm trying to change the play, you need to be on my page. You know, I don't care really what you did in the past. I, I, I'm trusting you to be at that spot. If I throw an interception because you made a mistake, <laughs> we're, we're going to talk about it, especially during the summer months when it's just me. I'm the head honcho. We'll, we'll talk about it. And that's at the college level. Right. How about guys going to the pros who are accomplished draft picks, and Aaron Rodgers is like, no, 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 no. This ain't working, <laughs> and if you don't listen, I ain't throwing any of the ball.